Good morning one more time. Uh, it's great to be with you this morning. I just want to welcome again all of you who are here and uh, those of you who are watching online. We have a fair number of people who watch online, especially those who are members of our church who are uh, unable to be here on a Sunday uh, traveling. We have people actually who go to Disneyland and they watch from California. That's awesome. And uh, so anyway, we, we, we love that and we just, we're really grateful you're here. Uh, this morning is another good example of why we said a few weeks ago we have decided in April go to go to two Sunday services. And so, yeah, keep praying about that because there's lots of needs there when it comes to servants and organization and how we're going to do it and so forth. So open your Bibles to uh, 2 Timothy in chapter 3. We're going to finish the chapter this morning, verses 10 to 17. Um, Next Sunday, as I mentioned, we will take a break for Baptism Sunday, which is awesome. And then we'll come back the week after that for the next two weeks and finish up this wonderful study that we've been in, this uh, these writings, 1 Timothy and 2 Timothy, that we started last September, where the Apostle Paul is writing to his young protege in the faith, Timothy, whom he left in Ephesus to put things in order to lead that church. And these are letters of encouragement. These are letters for a young man who he's discipled, as we will see today, uh, who needs that encouragement, as a lot of pastors do from that day to this day, because persecutions and afflictions and sufferings and attack happens all the time. And it's not personal, although sometimes, you know what, it can feel that way. No, it's, it's an attack on God's word. And that's what we've been seeing throughout this series. And we're going to see it today highlighted in a major way, because in today's text, we are going to learn about the doctrine of the authority and the inerrancy of scripture. Why? Because it's here. <laughs> and that's so important. It was important in that day that Paul would express that to Timothy and the church there. And I want to show you not only is it that for us today, but also it has been throughout all of history. So we're going to see that. The one thing that we're going to see again in this text today is that Timothy has been doing this, pardon me, Paul's been doing this since 1 Timothy. And that is, is he wants to exhort Timothy not to give up. You remember the first chapter, right, of uh, 1 Timothy, he says, uh, stay in Ephesus. Those are some of his first words, Timothy, I want you to stay in Ephesus. Well, why? Well, because he's getting reports back either by letter uh, requests from Timothy for help, or from people who have visited uh, Paul and said, you know, Timothy's you know, he's getting a lot of pressure, he's struggling a little bit. And Paul's like, buddy, you have to stay. You have to stick it out. And so today we're going to see, it's just, it just it continues. Why do I say that? Because he says, continue. Keep going. Don't quit. Don't give up. Fulfill the ministry and calling that God has given to you, and especially now. So this passage today, then, I want to suggest to you is the anchor to the charge that Paul gives to Timothy, to the church in Ephesus, and by extension, the Holy Spirit gives to us here today. It's where we get our our title for or byline for the series today. It's this charge. Guard the good deposit that has been given and entrusted to you, church, Christian. In other words, guard the truth. And so that's what we're going to see today. Let's consider these things, first of all, by reading the text. The, uh, the text uh, that we'll read, uh, verses 10 to 17, will not be on screen, although we'll come back to them right after that. Paul addressing Timothy directly in verse 10. You, however, Timothy, have followed my teaching, my conduct, my aim in life, my faith, my patience, my love, my steadfastness, my persecutions and sufferings that happened to me at Antioch, at Iconium, and at Lystra, which persecutions I endured, yet from them all the Lord rescued me. Indeed, all who desire to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be 
persecuted, while evil people and imposters will go on from bad to worse, deceiving and being deceived. But as for you, continue. In what you have learned and have firmly believed, knowing from whom you learned it and how from a child, from childhood, you have been acquainted with the sacred writings which are able to make you wise for salvation through faith in Christ. Here you go. All scripture is breathed out by God and it is profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness that the man or woman of God may be complete. Equipped for every good work. Let's pray. Gracious Heavenly Father, um, I just want to thank you for today. Thank you, Lord, that ah, this, this Sunday morning, every Sunday morning for that matter, but this Sunday morning, we, we get to get up, get ourselves together, and come down here into this place uh, to worship you. Together, as a family, as, as a church, as one, as, as Nick said this morning, as one expression. And so, Lord, it's a sign of, um, we hope you will see of, of our faithfulness, our love for you and for one another, that we show up. And so, Father, we, we, we want to hear from you today. Holy Spirit, we want you to speak through the words of this text and through me. Uh, and, Lord, I, I just pray that you would touch our hearts, you would encourage us, you would show us what, what Paul wanted to say to Timothy and to the church in that day, how he wanted to encourage specifically Timothy. And out of that, each one of us too. Lord, we want to know how to guard the truth. We, we want, Lord, to be able to say all Scripture is breathed out by you. And so, Lord, I pray for your, your wisdom today. And I pray that you would touch us in Jesus' worthy name. Amen. Um, <laughs> as I was preparing for this, I, I, well, I've got to be straight up. I'm always hopefully honest with you on Sunday mornings. But this is a really special passage for me, personally. Has been for a long time. I was trying to remember, okay, when did it first get put on my heart? Well, it was 27 years ago, approximately. Yes, I know. <laughs> That's a while ago, but I had to think about it, right? I was in my early 40s. I was still in my business career. Uh, and I was invited to participate in a men's retreat out in the valley at a retreat center um, by a bunch of fellows who were already in ministry. Many of them were preachers and pastors who I'd become friends with. And, I, and they were, one in particular, was really trying to disciple me to leave that business world, Glenn, and go become a preacher, man. And so he took me, they invited me out to this thing. And, and it was, it was going to be, uh, the study was going to be held and, and led by an eminent uh, British Bible teacher. As soon as I heard British, I was like, that's eminent, right? And, uh, and, and his credentials were that he was a professor of Old Testament and New Testament Greek at the Belfast University. He'd been the author of many, many books, several co-authored with a very good friend of his who's still alive today and very vital in the area of polit- uh, pardon me, apologetics. His name is Dr. John Lennox. And if you don't know that name, you should Google it. He's amazing. He is totally amazing. He's written three commentaries uh, on the book of Acts, Luke, and Hebrews. I own all of them, and I've got two of them signed. Uh, the study was at this retreat, as I said in the phrase around. When I say invited, I was invited by these folks, by these men, to go out and be part of this, who were discipling me. Uh, the man who would be our teacher is now the late, he passed away in 2019, Dr. David Gooding. I, I would encourage you to look him up. Um, I remember getting there to that retreat center, and here's this guy who's actually shorter than me, which made me feel very encouraged. Uh, you know, he's, he's balding. I don't know. I think he was like 75 then. Uh, no, not could have been 75, but he was in his 60s at least. He died when he was 98, so you do the math. 
Um, and, you know, he's got the British accent, and it was just... And, oh, my goodness, the first study uh, that I went to, I went to three with him, by the way, was on Second Samuel. I, I had never heard... It wasn't preaching, it was teaching. And I'd never in my life heard anything at all like this. Well, to attend this particular retreat, two things were required. You had to go to an elder in your church, and they had to commend you to be part of this, right? And I was like, well, that's... that's... So I went to an elder, and I, I asked him about that, but also... Dr. Gooding required that you memorize chapter 3, verses 10 to 17 of 2 Timothy, and that you recite it to your elder, and they can't approve you to come to the course unless you've recited it, right? And I, I, I remember that. I, I still find it hard today to recite it in the, um, in the ESV, which is what I preach from, because we learned it in the King James back in the day, uh, which was his favorite Bible and, and I, I just remember, like, soon, like, but thou hast fully known my doctrine, manner of life, purpose, faith, long-suffering. I won't record the whole thing, but I could. It was in the King James, and it was awesome. I love this passage. Your sermon title for today will be on screen. Uh, it is this, Remember and Continue. I'm hoping to show you that we see this. I don't always have these three-point messages, but we do today. It's three things from this particular text. Number one, Paul, remember my example, Timothy. Number two, Timothy, remember your testimony. And number three, trust the scriptures. Number one, remember my example. See the words in verses 10 and 11. They'll be on screen. You, however, Timothy, have followed my teaching, my conduct, my aim in life, my faith, my patience, my love, my steadfastness, my persecutions and sufferings that suffered, that happened to me, pardon me, at Antioch, at Iconium, and at Lystra, what persecutions I endured, yet from them all, the Lord rescued me. So we've learned in the, the two studies in 1 Timothy and 2 Timothy that the Apostle Paul met uh, Timothy on one of his missionary journeys through Derby and Lystra, Timothy was living with his grandmother and uh, mother, his grandmother Lois and his mother Eunice. Uh, his father was Greek and not a believer. And he was living with them in Lystra and Timothy met them. His mother and grandmother likely came to faith through the preaching of the Apostle Paul. At least that's what um, uh, commentators believe and trust. And at that time, it's, it's believed that Timothy was around 19 to 20 years of age. And Paul noticed this young man, but also the elders and leaders, the brothers, as it says in the text in uh, Lystra, said to Paul, this, this young man right here, this young man, they, they, they approved of him, they commended him to Paul. And so Paul said, Timothy, come with me. And for the next 10 years, Timothy follows Paul on a ministry journey. And I like to put it this way. I have many times. I mean, this is the best MDiv you could ever sign up for, right? Masters of Divinity, which you can get if you study long enough for four years at any seminary in North America. But what, a, what an opportunity to be uh, you know, not only taught by this man and learn these things in the Apostle Paul, but also listen to be discipled be discipled by the Apostle Paul. Apostle Paul taking him on a road trip with him to show him what good ministry looks like and what the Christian life looks like. Ten years. Ten years later, the Apostle Paul leaves Timothy in Ephesus at that church and exhorts him to put things in order. And that's what we learned in 1 Timothy, was that was the charge for Timothy. 
And so this has been an amazing time. These words here then are so meaningful to Timothy, don't you think? After all this, he's been there, you know, for at least five or six years now when he receives the second letter, second Timothy, and things are just, they're, they're not getting any better. They're difficult. They're challenging. Uh, the, the word of the Lord, the words of Paul, Paul are being challenged all the time by false teachers. Timothy gets up on a Sunday morning and preaches a message, and immediately the false teachers in the church are going, I don't think so. I mean, those are Paul's words. Are they Moses' words? Are they Jesus' words? We'll get to that. But Timothy hears these words from his beloved mentor, discipler, Paul. They had to encourage him. They had to really encourage him. So, so Paul says, let's remember together, right? I think. So many of a pastor, myself included, uh, point to this passage as one of the key models in the scripture of discipleship. This is what it looks like or what it should like for every one of you who's a believer in Christ, for not just for pastors or for you know, theologians. It, the idea is, is like, listen, you follow me while I'm following Christ. Let's go do this together. Let's do the walk, the ministry. Let's do these things together. Iron sharpening iron, men with men, women with women, that type of thing. So along the way, teaching each other what good ministry and living the Christian life looks for, life looks for. Now, after what we've read last week, it won't be on screen, but you'll remember from last week, it's so great, like the first, this chapter, chapter three, begins with these words. But, Timothy, understand this. After all that's gone before, just understand this, that in the last days, there will come times of difficulty. Paul, I just wrote you a letter asking for some help, and you're telling me this, right? Yes. Things are going to get worse. People are going to behave like, like I told you, Right? And he goes on to describe a host of sinful character traits that everyone, by nature of being born in sin, I know that's not good news, but it's true, um, just naturally displays. And sadly, outside the church and sadly inside the church, which is the message from last week that Paul's exhorting him. Listen, so Paul begins here with you, Timothy, however. It's encouraging, but he's discouraged. And so he needs this encouragement. This is not you, Timothy. And why? We'll look at in the text. We'll have it on screen again, these verses. Look at the mys that Paul puts up. He's not bragging. He just wants to encourage Timothy by, look, remember these things. First, remember how, as you followed me, you heard my teachings. Paul is wondering, he didn't teach anything that was from his, his own mind. He taught what Christ deliberately downloaded to him or what the Spirit told him to speak and say. All Scripture is God-breathed. We're going to get there. My teaching, the teachings that Jesus gave to me, and by the way, I want to encourage you, Timothy. I've already said this to you. You are following them too. You are following the teachings. You're teaching it. I know you are. I'm getting good reports about you, so be encouraged. Those teachings are important. Then secondly, look at all of these Mize in sequence. He says, this one I love, my conduct. My conduct. It's basically, remember how I behaved, Timothy. Wow, come on. I got to tell you, I've been a pastor here at the Rock Church for 15 years, and I'm like, I think there's some men in this church that I would like to be able to say that to, and yet I think there's a, first, a few of them would go, well, yeah, Glenn, but I remember a couple of times right? My conduct. Remember how I behaved in all circumstances. When I was being questioned by skeptics 
or under persecution. Remember how I try to model good conduct for you, Timothy. Here's one. My aim in life. Question. Talk about this in community group this week. Can you define your aim in life, Christian? So important, right? Some of us, you know, we have goals, we have objectives, we want to get somewhere, we want to make this, we want to get to this level in our corporate life, in our walk, whatever it is. What is your aim in life as a Christian? It's so good. We need to have that. We need to know who we're following, and, and, and that's our target. That's the aim right there. Well, Paul clearly had that aim in life, didn't he? He clearly states it on so many occasions. It's the upward call in Christ. My goal is to one day hear those words, well done, good and faithful, what? Servant. Servant. He modeled that for Timothy. This is my aim in life. Timothy, it needs to be your aim in life as well. So like I said, it might be a good idea to stop through this week and actually evaluate that. Like, can you write it on a piece of paper, on a three-by-five card? This is my aim in life. Do it. Be good. Exercise. Paul's aim in life, as I said, was obvious. It was his undying faith in Jesus Christ that took him through all these things, and that was his aim in life. And then he says, my patience. Oh, gosh. So, yeah, what is that? That, That's great. That's, That's a fruit of the Spirit. It is, right? Which is also my love. Love, faith. It's a fruit of the Spirit. He's he's saying to Timothy, these are the models, by the way, that you want to follow. These are the kind of men and women that you want to be following in this life. Men and women that model these things. Not just me. He's not bragging by my. Was he perfect all the time? Of course he wasn't. He talks about being the chief of all sinners. So let's make sure we understand this. But it's a call. He's pushing it forward. This is what I'm calling to you to, Timothy. Then the word steadfast means to be fixed or firm in a direction or purpose. A good translation from that Greek word would be unwavering. Boy, that's important as we get to our conclusion about the authority and inspiration of the word of God. You have a name in life? You trust the scriptures as we're going to get to? You need to be unwavering, completely unwavering in those things. So it's one thing. To have an aim in life, it's another thing to never waver. And finally, oh yes, Timothy, you do remember these things, right? My persecutions and sufferings. Timothy, you were there. You you saw me flogged and beaten a couple times, but you also saw me criticized and mocked and and called not really an apostle and that my preaching was terrible next to Apollos's. You saw that. Again, you saw how I behaved. You saw that. And what I love about this is he reminds him, you you saw specifically, remember three instances, which were probably the worst, at Antioch, at Iconium, and Lystra. But then he says, good news, Timothy. In in spite of all that, you do remember this. I endured. How? In my own strength? No. Who rescued him? The Lord. And he's constantly pointing to Christ. He takes no credit for this. It's the Lord that rescued him out of all these things. So first, Paul exhorts Timothy by exerting him, exhorting him, pardon me, encouraging him to remember his example, but he's not quite done yet on that point, right? 
No, he needs to remind Timothy that it's going to be the same for every true disciple of Jesus Christ. Good news, right? He goes on to say in verses 12 and 13, Indeed, all who desire to live a godly life in Christ will be persecuted, while evil people and imposters will go on from bad to worse, deceiving and being deceived. You'll remember from last Sunday, I went ahead to that verse to, again, prove the point that the world is not going to become some utopian place because the church is so amazing. That would be lovely before Christ comes again. No, actually the scripture, and I was looking into Revelation uh, this past week and going to highlight that for you. I won't go that long, otherwise we'd be here long. But there's a great apostasy coming in those last days. Friends, I believe, as I'll hopefully show you in a few minutes, we're in those days. The apostasy is going to happen in the church. So you'll notice here in this text, there's no might be here, is there? Listen, it's not like, listen, indeed, some, just a few of you, not everybody, right, will be persecuted. No, all, all who desire to live a godly life in Christ Jesus, whose life is on display in the world and culture today, will be persecuted. And so it's this, and so if your aim in life is Christ and his kingdom and for his glory, we need to expect it. However, if we endure, what will happen? He will rescue us. (laughs) He will. He will. He will rescue us. I've seen that. So that's number one. Remember my example. Number two, remember your testimony, Timothy. I love this. Verses 14 and 15 say, But as for you, continue in what you have learned and have firmly believed, knowing from whom you learned it. Remember them, right? And how from childhood you have been acquainted with the sacred, the sacred writings, which are able to make you wise for salvation through faith in Christ Jesus. So Paul moves from, okay, that was about me and our relationship. Timothy, this is about you. This is good. These are good things about you. And there's the key, that, that key word, continue. Don't give up, kid. Like, I get it. I've been there. You were with me. You saw it. I don't want you to give up. So Paul surely needed to hear that along the way, didn't he? From the Lord. He needed to hear that from the Holy Spirit. And he did. He prayed all the time. And he asked for the strength to, to keep going, to continue. And he received it. And so he's encouraging Timothy of that now. So look at the progression in Paul's words here. First, continue. And how? In what you've learned, right? You need to be a learner, which is what a disciple actually is, is a learner, right? You need to have learned. And then you have to be firmly believing, right? And then by knowing, remembering again whom you have learned all these things from. You know, sometimes people get that backwards. It's all about, well, I need to know. I need to know about Genesis 1 and creation evolution. I got to know that first, right? I got to get the facts. I got to get all these things down, right? Actually... It's the other way around in this text. No, it's it's firmly believing and trusting the word of God and that Jesus is the son of God and that he died on the cross in your place and for your sins. Then it's about knowing. I always say to people, go, well, I don't know, I'm really struggling with this. What about this, all those subjects, right? I go, listen, do you believe Jesus died on the cross in your place for your sins and rose from the dead and is now king? And, and, And that when you die, if you place your faith and trust in him, you will be with him for eternity. Yes, Okay, you will come to the knowledge of the truth about all the rest of those things. Just stick with it. It's amazing how that actually turns out for a lot of people. 
It's actually one of the highlights that um, we ask for people who are being baptized, and you'll see that next week. When, when we finish up the baptism class, I always say to the kids or the young people or the people who are being baptized, not all kids, uh, okay, three, three um, ways to look at writing your testimony. Number one, uh, you know, what was your life like before Jesus? And, and you don't have to go into all the deep, dark sins, okay, maybe one or two, right? But describe what your life was like without the Lord. It was, there was sin that they needed to be repented of. Then secondly, how did you come to faith in Christ? And part of that mentioned some of the people who shared the gospel with you, your mom, your dad, your friends, people who discipled you and walked you to the point of praying with you. That's a good thing to do. And then lastly, what has your, your life been like since you came to faith in Jesus Christ? Hopefully it's like, like this in sanctification, right? That's what we ask people through their baptisms to share. So Timothy... My son Paul says, remember again, remember your grandmother, Lois, remember your mom, remember them. When you share your testimony, don't forget to mention them. Remember them. I love that. Sorry. My mom Eunice passed away six or seven years ago, but my mother-in-law, who's my spiritual mother in the faith, is on her deathbed today. And Janice and I might have to go out there afterwards. I remember. I remember a lot. Then how they led you to hear the gospel, trust Christ, and from there how these sacred scriptures, which is always the words that were used about the Old Testament scriptures, um, are able to, perfect tense, make you wise for salvation. For your sanctification as you grow in your faith and as you lead the church in Ephesus. And so as I read these words, I, 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 every time I read them, and I, I hope you will too as today, is every time I read them, I am continually, yes, encouraged that my call, not just as a pastor, but as a, as a Christian man, is to disciple other men. To follow this model. It's very encouraging. It's not easy. Some of you are tough to lead, okay? It's awesome. It truly is. And so, this, of course, is true for men and women in the local church. It's our calling, right? Matthew 28, go and make disciples. So that's remember your testimony. Number three, trust the scriptures. This is the core. Verses 16 and 17 will be on screen. All scripture is breathed out by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness. That the man of God may be complete, equipped for every good work. And so here we arrive at the seminal two verses highlighting what I mentioned to you in the introduction, the doctrine of the authority and errancy of the scripture. But before we define that and consider its importance in our day, let's just look at those first few words, right? All scripture is God-breathed. All I have to highlight this for you guys today. I have to as your pastor. There are two uh, parallel streams happening in our world today that I in my life as a Christian over the past 40 years have not seen um, that are really, really, really leading a lot of young men and women away from the faith. One would be called progressive Christianity. I, I, I think of that as a, uh, an oxymoron. It's like jumbo shrimp. Um, I'm sorry, but... The only thing progressive about it is progressively moving away from all scripture is God-breathed, right? 
And the other is really, really powerful right now. It's called deconstruction. There are two hashtags out there. I don't recommend that you go and look at them, but if you do, one is called hashtag deconstruction. It is a rabbit hole right now that a large portion of young men and women raised in the church, went to Bible colleges even, are following deconstructionists. And it's not about, well, you know, they they try to elevate it up to the idea, well, all it is is that, you know, my mom and dad taught me this, and the pastor taught me that, and this church taught me that. All I want to do is I I want to learn it to be right for me. That's not it. Sounds like it starts that way. It's actually deconstruction has always been seen in the scripture and in history, even by secular philosophers, as falling away. There's another hashtag, exvangelical. Yeah, that's what it's called. Not hashtag evangelical, hashtag exvangelical. Guys, this is a stream right now that is super powerful, especially in our current cultural philosophical day, especially in our cancel culture. And so it's leading a lot of people to spay. They, they would, they would, they're suggesting essentially two things, and we've been over this a little bit. Number one is, you know what we need to do is unhitch from the Old Testament. I mean, first of all, let's just do that. A lot of things in the Old Testament really hard to believe, like Adam and Eve talking snake. Let's just start there, right? And then it goes on from there. Noah, you're telling me the God of the Bible wiped out all human life except for maybe 22 people. Really? Unhitch. But secondly, there's this idea that the words of Paul, we've been over this, I want to highlight this for you one more time this morning, and others are not the same or on the same level as the words of Jesus. It's a silly argument, I know, but it's true. People make this argument today, and and it's winning a lot of people to, and why would they want to do that? Well, it's so that they can now encourage you and I, well, let's go back and reinterpret the Bible so that, you know, the way the culture sees it is, you know, we're we're not that (laughs) anti-culture. That's the reason why they want to take us that way. Well, we've seen this before, but I want to highlight it again. Just a few weeks ago, the Apostle Peter confirms Paul's writings were actually Scripture. In 2 Peter chapter 3, verses 15 and 16, it'll be on screen for you. Peter wrote this, Just as our beloved brother, Paul, and that's an important point because a lot of people are like, well, Paul wasn't really an apostle like Peter. Oh, really? <laughs> Peter calls him a beloved brother. Also wrote to you according to the wisdom given to him, So he was given wisdom by whom? Well, he didn't get it. He told them when he went to Jerusalem, guys, I didn't get it from you. I got it from Christ. And then they confirmed it by asking him, well, tell us what you heard from Christ. By the time he told them what Christ had told them, him, they said, that's the gospel. That's what we heard too. So they confirmed that. As he does in all his letters, that's important, when he speaks of them of these matters, then this. There are some things in them that are hard to understand, and I said when we went through this, hard to accept, I understand, which the ignorant and unstable twist to their own destruction as they do, the words here are important, the other scriptures. The apostles in that day were already seeing the writings of Paul and the other apostles as scripture. It didn't happen at the Council of Nicaea in AD. That's what people think. It became, you know, sanctified, sanctified as scripture. They believed it was that in that day. So Paul has repeatedly, and we've noticed this each time we've been through this. Actually, sorry, Peter, the, the first among the apostles, Jesus chose, he also wrote this. I've got to say to show you this. In 2 Peter verse, chapter 1, verses 20 and 21. Knowing this, first of all, this is an important conclusion that he gets to about the word of God. No prophecy of scripture 
comes from someone's own interpretation. For no prophecy was ever produced by the will of man, but men spoke from God as they were carried along by the Holy Spirit. So it's important. So Paul has repeated, and we've noticed it several times throughout the letters, and it's been painful all the time. He's reminding Timothy, there are false teachers. There are false teachers out there, right? And of course, Timothy, we, uh, Paul, we know that when he left Timothy in uh, Ephesus and he called the elders out to the sea to him, to, uh, Paul said this to the elders and to Timothy. It won't be on screen. He said, listen, I know that after I, my departure, fierce wolves will come in among you, not sparing the flock. And now, four to five years later, he's writing these letters to Timothy because they've shown up, and in numbers. And some of us could say, well, this is just Paul. Like he, he finds a, a wolf under every rock, right? right? It's just Paul. Well, near the end of the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus said these words in chapter 7 of Matthew, verse 15. Beware of false prophets who come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly are ravenous wolves. And then returning to Paul in his words, we'll hear a couple of weeks ago, he said this, uh, pardon me, we'll see in a couple of weeks. He says, it's actually not, um, it's not 1 Timothy, it's actually 2 Timothy chapter 4, verse 3, where he says, and we'll see this in two weeks, now the Spirit expressly says that in later times, some will depart from the faith by devoting themselves to deceitful spirits and teachings of demons. Paul is saying, "The, the Holy Spirit told me this. So now for a definition. This is important. The doctrine of the authority and inspiration of Scripture. And it became a truth in the early church and became a doctrine that they believed and trusted. That doctrine is, it'll be on screen, is that as a corollary of the inspiration of Scripture, the God-breathed Scriptures are wholly true in all things that they assert in the original autographs or manuscripts and therefore function with the authority of God's own words. That's, in the Christian church today, and has been for 2,000 years, doctrine, or what Paul would call sound doctrine. We believe this at the Rock Church. We truly do, and we give ourselves to it. And so out of that, we know that the scriptures are all we need. They're all we need for faith in life in this world today, and they can show us the truth, capital, definite article, T-H-E, about all things. As I was preparing, I read a commentator told the story of a pastor in 1909 whose name was Pastor Barry Evans. He started his sermon. I'm not going to do it to my Bible. He started his sermon on this text in 2 Timothy chapter 3 by holding his Bible up and said, well, okay, listen, the virgin birth. Yeah, okay. Let's, if we don't believe in that, let's just tear them out. And he ripped them out of his Bible and threw them on the ground. And then he went to the resurrection. He said, well, yeah, if we don't believe in the resurrection of Jesus, let's tear that out. And he started tearing that all over the place and he, a bunch of other things. So like, well, if you don't believe in that, let's just tear it out. At the end, he held up his Bible, something like this, apparently, in, in the illustration, and said, okay, here, here's what we've got left. It's Matthew chapters 5 to 7 and the Sermon on the Mount. I'm going to tell you right now, if Jesus is not the Son of God, born of a virgin, who died and rose on the third day, then there's nothing in here that I should believe. Yeah. We can't do that with our Bibles. We, we can't do that. I remember reading that the other day, and I'm reading about it. Well, I'm going to tell the people about that. So it, he got to that, and when he said that, he was only up on, on stage apparently like five, seven minutes after doing that, and he said, okay, that's the end of this sermon. Let's pray. And some guy in the audience stood up and said, no, 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 no. Tell us more. <laughs> apparently, he preached for another hour. You ready for it? No. Okay. Sorry. 
Friends, the attack on the veracity of the word of God in our day and age is no... That's 1909. That's why he illustrated it that way, is because that's what people were doing with the Bible. And so it's the same. So in conclusion, I want to go back to those two verses just to show you this and leave you with this. Again, let me read. All scripture is breathed out by God and profitable for... What's it good for? What's it useful for? Everything we need. (laughs) Teaching for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness that the man or woman of God may be complete, equipped for every good work. Friends, it's important that you remember the testimony of those who've gone before us. It's important that we remember the examples and the models of the Apostle Paul and all of those in the early church. If if they didn't do what they did, we would not have this today. So it's important we do that. It's important you remember your own testimony of coming to faith in Christ and what God has been doing in your life. But it's also important that we remember this is where we need to go for everything we need. Let's be clear. No man or woman can can complete the other, right? I don't care what the movie said. We can't complete one another fully in that way. Only one person can. Jesus Christ, by the power of the Holy Spirit, can complete us. And how? This. This word teaches us everything we need to know. It it, it reproves us. It says, "Mm, I don't think so, Glenn. I don't think so. I think think you need to step back a little bit. And Yeah, it does. It, It corrects us straight up. Someone who's disciple of you comes to you and says, hey, I'm sorry, I love you, but that is wrong. You need to stop that. That's good discipling. It's also called correction. It's good for training in righteousness so that we can be complete. And then, of course, so that we can be equipped for what? For the work of ministry. At the end of the day, did the Apostle Paul equip Timothy well? I firmly believe so. Timothy also went to his death defending the veracity of the word of God. Pray with me, would you? Father, Lord Jesus, Holy Spirit, your word is so powerful. Uh, it's so encouraging. Um, and yet, Lord, as, uh, as Peter even said about Paul's teaching, it's, it's hard to understand. It's, it's challenging to us. Or we, we, we are honest, Lord, it's, it's challenging to us. So Holy Spirit, we... I, we, we all need you to, uh, yeah, just to speak to our hearts and to our minds, to our emotions, um, especially this week, especially as we consider how important it is uh, to trust your words and, and believe that it's all true. It's all true and that we can know it's true. And so, Lord, I pray that you would just help us be faithful. I pray that you would help us to be unwavering. Um, Lord, I, I, help, I pray that you would just help us um, in these days to be equipped for every good work in, in the ways that we're able to actually defend appropriately. In love, defend the truth of your word. So Lord, I look forward to what you're going to do in the rest of this day and this week, but also, Lord, in the engaged training that we're going to embark on. So that, Lord, Lord, as we go forth as a church in this place and in our own workplaces and in neighborhoods, we will be able to give an appropriate defense in love for the word because it's what changes us, Lord. So, Lord, I pray you would do a mighty work in us and in our church. I pray these things in, our Jesus, in your name, Jesus. Amen.